You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 7, and we are going to study God's Word. Uh, and how many know, whenever you open up God's Word, it's always timely. There's something here, and we do something we call expository preaching as a rule, not always, but as a rule, and that means we go line by line or story by story through a book of the Bible, through a section of Scripture, and we do that for today's reason in particular, because the, the story we're going to read is not one of the top 10 stories. In fact, a lot of people would read through it and look over it and just keep on moving. But before we dismiss the passage at hand, before we take a good look, before we wrestle with this uh, and understand the bold message that is here, uh, we, we, we just want to acknowledge that we we take God's word as it comes. And I promise you that there's something here for every single one of us, young and old, because of the power of God's word. And we have been doing family services in this season, and we are not going to be able to do the little skit. Maybe we'll do that another time. Um, but I do want you to know that the message today, my mindset has been this, what can we teach our kids or for those of you that don't have kids in the house still, maybe you're empty nesters, what can we teach our grandkids? Or what can we teach our neighbors? What can we teach our families? And the big takeaway, I'm just giving you, it's the spoiler alert, but the big takeaway is that we do not want to be Pharisees. Do not be a Pharisee. Everyone say that with me. Do not be a Pharisee. Mark chapter 7. We've been tracking through the book. Jesus has just fed the 5,000, so he's multiplied uh, the meal. He walked on water. Uh, Pastor Drew talked about that last week. And then after he walked on water, they get to the shore, and Jesus is ministering, he's healing, and he's doing a great work. And now the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law, are coming after Jesus. They're pursuing him, and that's where we'll pick it up, Mark chapter 7. Look what it says. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, let's pause there just for a second. This is no short journey. This is about a 90-mile journey from, where, from Jerusalem to where Jesus is. And in our day and age, a 90-mile trip is like from here to Lansing. It's an hour and a half, maybe at best. And, uh, but this is a couple-day journey. This is a significant investment of the time of the Pharisees and the scribes. And they are trying to find something against Jesus. They want to trap Jesus. They are concerned with the momentum. And so it says, now when the Pharisees gathered to him and with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Everyone go, oh no. They pause here for a second. When it says defiled hands, this is strong language in the time. 
they were unwashed hands. And now I know that the season that we're living in, uh, there's not anyone here that hasn't heard uh, that we should be washing our hands and doing it to the best of our ability. And uh, uh, how many of you, just a uh, quick survey, are the 22nd hand washers these days? All right, good. All right, yep, you are. Now let's just be honest, and I'll be the first to admit, how many washed your hands before, but 20 seconds, I'm thinking, come on, right? Yeah, so that was some new information for me, but oh, wait, wait yeah, go ahead put that up. We, we see these signs all over. Uh, 20, 20 seconds. Soap and water. 20 seconds. Yeah. Before COVID, I probably struggled with that. I always washed my hands, but 20 seconds, it was always, uh, you know, that was, that was a stretch. But anyway, uh, so anyway, but that's the issue at hand. Verse 3, we better keep on going. For, says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they're they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. What we see there, that's a key phrase in this passage. The tradition of the elders, that was for the Jewish people. And really, it was tradition outside of God's law, out of, outside of God's holy scripture. It was, they would write these things down. They'd put it in a book called the Talmud, and it was extra biblical. So it wasn't God's word, but it was things that uh, were important to the people. And it wasn't scripture. And oftentimes, and I would say every time, it started with good intentions to honor God, but often would lead to legalism. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. Verse 4 says, and when they would come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there were many other traditions, so lots and lots of rules in this Talmud, right? And other traditions as well. There were many traditions to observe, such as the washing of cups, and how to wash pots, and how to wash copper vessels, and how to wash dining couches, to name a few. Verse 5, and the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? Now, depending on what tone you read that with, you may miss it. These scribes, these Pharisees, they are not friends of Jesus. They are not there to play nice. They are trying to trap Jesus. And the truth of the matter, as hard as it is to say, and I know it's hard language, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, at this point, they hated Jesus and everything that was happening. The momentum that Jesus had, his power, his authority, they were questioning it all. And you say, well, what was Jesus' response? Let's look at it, verse 6 and 7. It says, and he said to them, Jesus said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? He called them hypocrites. As it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines of the commandments of men. Let's pause there just for a second. Jesus took him back to Scripture, Old Testament prophecy, and he basically says, you guys are all talk, your hearts are corrupt. He says, your worship is in vain, it's all show and no depth. And really, that's a typical picture of Pharisee and what we consider. And that leads to verse 8, where it's the key verse, at least in my opinion, for this passage. It says this, you leave the commandment of God, 
In other words, you leave the Holy Scripture, you leave what is right and what you know is right, and hold to the tradition of men. So you have this other book of tradition, and you hold that in higher esteem than you do the Word of God. Now, for some of you, you might be thinking, this sounds silly, or this sounds irrelevant. You know, how does this make any sense, or does this mean anything to me? And can we just agree before we move on with the passage that traditions, they come and they go, right? Traditions come and go. How many believe that? Come on. All right, I hope you do, Uh, because I've got some examples in my life. When I was growing up, and I went to camp, kids' camp, we at Fahola, we were not able to mix bathe. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, that's a good thing. You just shouldn't take a bath with you know, girls and boys. No, this was just swimming. When it was swimming time, the girls would have their time. The boys would have their time. There was no mixed bathing. And then I thought, man, a little after kids camp, my family, we put a pool in our backyard. And I'm thinking, what do we do? You know, uh, do we have the girls swim? Guys, no, we mixed bathe. We, we, it was okay because traditions come and traditions go. Am I right? Another example, growing up, I never went to the billiard hall. I never played pool until college because it was kind of like a place you just didn't go as a Christian or at least in my family. And then in college, I get to college and there is a pool hall at the school. And on Tuesdays, Jessica was here first service and she could, she could attest, every Tuesday my senior year, I played pool. You say, well, why is that? Because traditions come and they go. In my household growing up, it was just the rule for my family, no secular music. And that was kind of the rule. And when Jessica, when I met Jessica and we started to plan our wedding, she wanted to put some secular music in our wedding. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it really challenged me. I'm thinking, and we, we did. We had Yanni in our, not, he, he didn't come to our wedding, but we, someone played Yanni. And I'm thinking, man, have we really... And traditions come, traditions go. Last example, playing cards. How many of you remember, you're old enough, that playing cards as Christians, at least with face cards, uh, was wrong? Okay, all right, I see a few hands. Not as many as I thought, but you remember. So that was a thing. And so Christians would get around that. They'd play Rook because there were no face cards. And yeah, we got some people uh, yeah, saying, yeah, Rook. And, uh, and uh, what's interesting to me is I heard that. That was kind of before my time. And I, but my dad, at his lunch hour, would play euchre with his friends at work. And not only did he play at work, he taught me and the rest of my family how to play euchre. And if you ever want to play euchre, I'm in, right? And because traditions come and traditions go. I've taken too much time with this, but there's something here to wrestle with. And so Jesus, he acknowledges that. He says, look, you have left the commandments that God's actual word, and you are holding tighter to the tradition of men. And then he gives another example, verse 9. It says, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God. I mean, this is strong language. In order to establish your tradition. And he gives an example. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, one of the Ten Commandments, and whoever uh, reviles mother and father must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you have 
gain from me is Corbin that is given to God, and I'll explain that in a second. They, they are then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making the void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And it's, this is one example, and look what he says, and many such things you do. So it wasn't just washing of hands. It wasn't just this example here where there was a responsibility in the Jewish law to take care of your parents that are aging. And the, the example was that, hey, whatever your resources are, the, the, they become your parents' resources, and that's how it worked. But people would try to do a workaround, and this is what's, what Jesus is explaining here, and they would create a loophole, and the people would say, well, I've designated these funds, these resources, to be resources, it was called Corbin, which was given to God. And because those resources are designated for God, I don't have to give those and support my mom and dad. And so they says, by creating these extra rules, you're following these extra rules and not doing what God had told you to do. Does that make sense? And so that's kind of the point of this passage. Tradition versus Scripture. Now, what's our big key takeaway? Do not be a Pharisee, right? Say it with me. Do not be a Pharisee. And so there's a couple quick things I want to take a look at. The first is that this passage really gets at the question, were the disciples good enough? Now, in our day and age, we're not so worried about ceremonial washing of our hands, at least before COVID we weren't, right? And we're not concerned so much about dietary laws, but we are concerned about being right with God, aren't we? I am right with God, right? We all come to church today or you're viewing online uh, for, because we care about our relationship with God. Every human being, young and old, wrestles with this idea, am I good enough? And in our verse, it, you could say, am I clean enough, so to speak? Even if you're not a religious person, maybe you're here and someone's invited you or you're watching online with someone and you, you're not very religious. There's still this idea, am I good enough? Have I worked hard enough? Or have I, do I make enough money? Or do I have enough influence? Or have I gained enough knowledge? Or, or where do I stand in my work with my peers? You know, in my standing at work or at, at home or at, in your family or even at a church? And ultimately, you wrestle with the question, we all do, will I make it to heaven? And it begs the question, what rules, what traditions should I follow. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we are all, every single one of us, working with a serious deficit according to God's Word. All your acts of righteousness, all your traditions are not going to help in regards to your ultimate reality, where you're going to spend eternity. You could dress right you could say the right things. You could be a generous person. You could even have some good looks. You could serve. You could have kind words. And none of it is going to help one bit at all. 
There are other faiths, even besides Christianity, that talk about things that you should be doing. How do you make it? Even the Muslims have the five pillars of faith saying, hey, this is it. But even there, and even for Christians, there's a deficit. This week, in my own Bible reading, on top of our soap reading, I was in Matthew chapter 19. There's a story of the rich young ruler. And maybe you've heard the story, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what good thing, what tradition must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, if you want to enter life, you need to keep the commandments. And so the rich young ruler says, well, which ones do I need to keep? And then Jesus lists the commandments, honor your father and mother, kind of the Ten Commandments, the, the normal ones. And then he says, well, I've done all these uh, you know, what do I still lack? And then Jesus turns to him and says, you need to sell all your property, give it to the poor, come follow me. And the rich person went off, and the rich young ruler went off and was sad. And Jesus then turns to the crowd, to the disciples, and says, look, it's hard for a rich man to be saved. And then it begged the questions. The disciples turn and ask Jesus, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus says this, with man, it's impossible but with God, all things are possible. Amen. The point is that we are all working with a serious deficit. We are in trouble, even the best among us. If we ranked each other, who's the most spiritual here? It wouldn't be me, by the way. But uh, even if we did, we lined them up like the scribes and the Pharisees. They were the cream of the crop in the, in the day, in the text. None of them would be righteous enough. I wouldn't be. You wouldn't be. None of us could find the strength in yourself to save yourself. But the good news is that the answer is found in the gospel. Romans 3.10 says, there's no one righteous. And then it's like, pause, dot, 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 not even one. So if there was any question, there's no one righteous. And that's what makes John 3.16 so important to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes would not perish but find eternal. We come to Jesus not on what we do, but on what he did for us. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. And we need his mercy. And because God has shown me his favor, once I accept him, I want to do things for him. I want to be with him. I want to follow his ways. But church, you have to know, if you're asking the question, are you good enough? Or what do you want to teach your kids? Are they good enough? The answer is absolutely not. Even on your very best day, your righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. So the bottom line, what do you want to teach your kids? You need to teach your kids that they're not good enough. And they need a Savior. They need Jesus in their life. Do not be a Pharisee. That's what we're talking about today. There's another quick angle that I want to chat, and then we'll, then we'll wrap this up. In our text today, what happens is that the, the Pharisees had reduced any kind of relationship that they might have down to a bunch of rules. This is dangerous. An interpretation of the law, the Talmud, and how to keep the law is what was key for them. 
Ceremonial hand washing was the issue, but it could have been a number of other things. Extra biblical rules. Things that are not found in scripture, but are, were maybe at one time a good idea, they became tradition. And the thing is, is that we live in a society that changes, right? There are issues that come and issues that go. There are trends that come and go. There are styles that come and go. And I've been in ministry long enough that when I've been thinking about this, I've had a little PTSD this week. Now, I don't want to minimize anyone that might have that for real. I'm kind of tongue-in-cheek. But I've had some issues that I've had to work through in my life around tradition, around trends, around styles. Let me give you a couple examples. When I first got into ministry, 1998, graduated from Evangel, and I, I moved, and I was a kids pastor. I worked with elementary kids, just like Pastor Rachel. And, uh, and by the way, she's in our overflow room. In the overflow room, we know you're there. We love you. There's families back there with kids, and uh, they're the best, and so that's cool. But anyway, um, we, we, so I was a kids pastor, and it was the rule, the tradition for that church that everyone on staff had to wear, all the men had to wear suit and tie and dress shoes. And for many, many years, that's what I did as a kids pastor, working with kids on my hands and knees, doing illustrations and like blowing things up in my suit. I had to, well, I had to get it dry clean like once a month. And I mean, it was, it was a bad deal. And, uh, and I remember, and, and then when I moved here and, and I thought, well, that's what a pastor does. They wear a suit and tie and you button it up. And, and, uh, and I did for the first two years. Some of you remember that were around at that time. I wore a suit and tie every single week until a friend of mine was like, man, that doesn't seem like you. And you should be more like yourself and, and think about your target audience and, you know, who are you trying to reach? And, and I started to dress a little more casual. And to now, I'll wear a, a button-up shirt or I'll wear a T-shirt. I'll wear sandals or sometimes, I mean, I even wear jeans. Can you even imagine? And, and, uh, and, and maybe someday I'll even wear jeans with holes in them. No, I won't. I probably won't do that. Just because I don't like the style. But, uh, but, but people do, right? And I, so when I think of this story and what Jesus was dealing with and what people in the church have to deal with, it, it, it makes me cringe. How about your hair? When I was first in ministry, I was there about two years in the early 2000s. How many remember the style when, when uh, teenagers and kids were like bleach blonding their hair? Like just like it was so blonde, it looked like white and you couldn't even see it, you know? And I, I thought, oh, this is a great idea. My heart was to reach kids. And, I, and so I bleached my hair, the whole thing. Like you could, I mean, I was just like, and literally there were people that left the church because I bleach blonde my hair. And my poor pastor. And uh, I'm thinking, wow. And they were like, and they, this is a quote, they were like, what's next? Tattoos and belly button rings? And I'm like, I don't know, but, uh, but this, you know, do you even know my heart? We're going to talk about that in just a second. Uh, a couple years ago, Logan, my son, and a lot of you, he was playing drums this morning. Um, he's kind of has a little, like, his hair is quite short compared to what it used to be. How many remember when Logan had hair way down here? And um, I've had people at our church approach me and tell me when Logan had longer hair, Pastor, don't you know that long hair is a sign of rebellion? And I'm like, do you even know my son? 
And so whether we've got someone with a hat on stage or holes in their jeans, I've dealt with all of it, and I've got a little PTSD around that. I showed up uh, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, to a funeral for someone in the church, and I put a suit and tie on, and someone came up to me and said, Pastor, you dress better for the dead than you do for the living. I'm just saying. And I know I'm stepping on some toes, but don't worry, by the time we leave, I'm going to step on everyone's toes. So just prepare to be offended, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's about, you know, style. It's about trends. It's about things that come and go. And I don't care if it's about, you know, what we wear on the stage, but what about styles of worship? Do you remember? And I know we've got some folks that lived through the day when people were really passionate about not having drums on the stage, right? There were going to be no drums in church. Well, I guess we made a a pretty big statement. Uh, We're going to have drums and it's okay, but it's styles of worship that come and go. Some people think spontaneous is more important or maybe scripture-based or worship to God or about God or hymns. Yes. The beautiful hymns, right, that you sang in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, right? But did you know that many of those hymns were radical when they were written 100 years previous? They were edgy, and the church people didn't like them. Traditions come and traditions go. Songs come and songs go. The point is God is not interested in what we do or what we say. He wants our heart more than anything. The point, what we should be sharing with our kids, what we should be encouraging our grandkids and encouraging one another is that God wants our hearts. Mark 7, what's happening here, right? In our text, it says that they were honoring God with their lips, but their hearts were far from the Lord, God forbid. That means they were saying the right things, but they weren't living it. They, their hearts were cold. It then says they were vainly worshiping because they do not follow Scripture, it says. So they were doing the right things, but it was all in vain because their hearts were far from the Lord. And I'll tell you what, church, it frustrated Jesus. It was an issue to Jesus, and frankly, he did not tolerate it. The bottom line of what we must tell our kids is that it's about your heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7, I love it. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. They're picking out the new king or the future king of Israel. It says, the Lord does not look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Heart. Man looks on the outward, God looks on the heart. God wants our heart, and remember, it's not your righteousness that saves you. There's nothing you can do to be good enough. You can try all these things, follow all these extra rules, or even try to follow Scripture. Listen, it's only Jesus that saves you. You can go to church, you can watch online, but until you experience Jesus firsthand, you're lost. And as I was studying and preparing and having a little panic attack saying, can I really say some of those things that I've said? I realized a little phrase I wrote in my notes, and I mean this, I don't want to be a Pharisee. And so I don't want you to think any more of me 
or any less for that matter, but listen, I have a tendency to be a Pharisee too. For me, many of you know that my heart is to live debt-free, to live generously after you're debt-free, and money management is an important part of my life and my ministry. And we try to model that at the church and different things. And I have to be careful when I see someone, what I would consider to do something stupid, that I'm not thinking better of myself than they Ah, I think my, is, this going, is my microphone going in and out? Or is it you just don't like what I'm saying, Bob? No, I'm just kidding. I know. Let's just monitor that. It feels like it's going in and out again. Or for me, so it's money management things. And I'm saying I don't want to be a Pharisee. Tattoos. I don't have any tattoos. And if you ask me, I just, I'm not a big tattoo fan, but I've hired people with tattoos. And there's lots of people here with tattoos. And I don't want to think any less of you or more of you if you have a tattoo or not. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I know we're heading into a season uh, where the political uh, climate is hot and heavy, and uh, Democrats and Republicans. I thought we could take a little survey. Who are you going to vote for this morning? No, just kidding. We're not going to do that. But when it comes to political things, I do not want to be a Pharisee. Do you realize that Jesus was neither Republican or Democrat? I don't want to be a Pharisee. And I couldn't have the tendency to think, man, if someone doesn't believe the way I do. I've heard people say, if you're this way or if you believe this, then you can't. How could you even call yourself a Christian? That is a Pharisee talking. It comes down to de denominations, right? We are Assemblies of God. Many of you know that, Pentecostal church. And sometimes I can, if I'm not careful, I can look at a Catholic uh, tradition or a Baptist tradition or a Reformed tradition. You fill it in. And I can think I, we've got it better. I have to be careful. Church, I don't want to be a Pharisee. A pet peeve of mine is on social media. How many of you have seen those things that come along? I've seen them from some of you, but I'm not going to point any fingers. And, but it, if you share this on social media, you love Jesus. If you ignore it, you're letting the enemy win. What are you supposed to do with that? Come on. And then do we dare even talk about masks or no masks? Leave them at home, have them with you, live in fear. We're spiritualizing it. We're political, politicizing it. Listen, I don't want to be a Pharisee when it comes to... To these things. And the truth is, we all are at a serious deficit. And because of that, what, what kind of encouragement, what kind of thing could we encourage our kids or encourage ourselves? We just need to love. Let's be sure that we're not making rules for God and not just judging one another, right, by the kind of car that we drive or where we live or where we send our kids to school. Let's make sure we're not speaking like a Pharisee. Are we making rules for God? Let's just look at the key verse one more time. Verse 8 says, you've left the commandment of God. That's the Holy Scripture. That's God's Word. And you hold to, to the tradition of men. Things that come and go, you're holding on. What's the greatest commandment when Jesus was asked? It was simply to love God and to love others, period. Love God, love others, period. And I do want you to know, 
you might be asking the question, well, who did you have in mind when you were preparing this message? We want to say with integrity, I wasn't thinking of anyone in particular, not you. I was actually thinking about maybe a, just an idea of a person, like a single young lady who's had a tough life, who's made some serious mistakes, who needs to be loved. A young lady like that does not need a Pharisee in her life. Or a family man trying to raise his kids, trying to hold old traditions versus new traditions, growing up in the church, trying to be the best husband and father. That person does not need to be a Pharisee in his family. I've thought about sons and daughters that are growing up in our, in our lives that don't need a parent that is a Pharisee in their lives. Holding to traditions, I thought about neighbors and co-workers, and I thought about myself. Where do I make up in my mind that I'm better than someone else? Where my first reaction or my first situation uh, is not to love God and to love people. Where do I fall short? That's where my mind was this week. And ultimately, the reason we shouldn't be Pharisees is because there are people that need to know Jesus. We have a responsibility here at the Gateway Church and just as Christians in general to reach one more. It's part of our mission. We connect with God, with each other, with the world so we can reach one more. Now, is there a place to judge? Yes. Especially believers, we should hold each other accountable? Absolutely. Is there wisdom in best practices? Absolutely. But my heart was drawn to Philippians chapter 2, and I'm closing with this, I promise. In fact, let's go ahead and stand as we look at this last verse. Chapter 2, verse 3 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to each is the own interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Then it says, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And then verse 8 is the kicker. And being found in the appearance of man, this is it. This is where we should be. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. We're called to be humble, to think others better than ourselves. Don't look out for the, your own interests and to have the same attitude as Christ. We are called to love God, to love people, period. Period, 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 period. Do not be a Pharisee. You're online, my microphone's going in and out, but we're almost done. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the challenge this morning. Where should we point our attention for kids, for, the, for those in our families? Where should we go? What should we do? What do we say? Lord, help us to teach our kids 
and to hold a high regard for the greatest command to love you and to love others. And Lord, help us to do it well. And Lord, help us to understand that traditions come and traditions go and that we don't need to hold so tight at times. Yes, best practices are important, but Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, in my life, where I have pharisaical tendencies, Lord, I pray that you would work in my life. Where others struggle, I pray that you would work on them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be more like you. And ultimately, the reason we would do that is so we can reach one more. Help us this week in Jesus' name. Your head bowed and eyes closed if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. In other words, if you have not committed, surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to do so. Whether you're online and hanging on with us, uh, I know we've gone a little longer than normal, but Lord, I, I just pray right now for those that don't know you, Jesus, that you'd soften hearts. If you're here right now, you don't know Jesus, I'm going to lead you in a quick, simple prayer, salvation prayer. This prayer can be yours. You mean it, that the Lord, he will do a work in your life. He will forgive you. Simple prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong, for the sin in my life. Lord, I pray that you would save me, not by my righteousness, but by what you've done on the cross. Save me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, help me to live for you all the days of my life. as we prepare to leave I'm going to have a final benediction prayer but before you go I just want to remind you that the ushers we're going to dismiss you from the back to the front we're going to just continue with best practices we're going to ask that you put your mask on on the thoroughfare and not to hang out in the lobby hang out in the church uh, parking lot as long as you want we love that and uh, we just we want you to know we love you and so let's just pray a final prayer Lord that you'd go before us behind us and all around us we pray this in Jesus name amen and amen God bless you go in the grace of God wait to be dismissed and uh, we'll see you out in the lobby or not in the lobby in the parking lot amen amen thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.